I'm going to preach out of Psalm uh, 1 this morning. And I'm going to read the entire psalm. It's only six verses, five verses, six verses. But I'm really going to focus on uh, more than anything verse number 1. And I want you to keep a couple of little phrases in mind this morning. Actually, just three words. And they all come out of verse 1. And that is walk, stand, and sit. Walk, stand, and sit. So as he gets this up, and, and, or if you want to turn in your Bible, if you would, stand for the reading of the word this morning. So blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff, which are driven, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your promises this morning. And Lord, most of all, the promise and the presence of the Holy Ghost. I pray simply that what we do here will glorify and honor you, that you would anoint me to preach your word and to hear what the word is saying. I pray that you would anoint all of us to hear, God, what the Spirit and the word is saying to us in this day and hour. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Now, I put a title of, of creating our own troubles because a lot of times I believe that's exactly what we do because we don't follow what the Bible tells us. You know, if, if you own some kind of, uh, you know, fancy luxury car, you're not going to take it to Jim Bob under the shade tree down the street to get it worked on. One, if he has any integrity, he's going to tell you, I can't fix that car. But two, you're not going to take it to someone that doesn't know how to work on it to fix it for you. Much the same way, you're not going to take your car to a plumber or an electrician or an accountant. You're going to take it to an auto mechanic, someone that knows how to fix what's going on with it. If you've got problems with your house, you're going to contact a contractor and they're going to have specialized people to take care of whatever needs to be done there. And yet, so many times we treat our life much worse than how we treat our possessions and our belongings. You see, we have possessions and belongings, and we'll make sure that we go to the right place or the right person to have them taken care of. When we need to store money or we need to figure out financial advice, we'll go to a bank or to an accountant or to a financial planner. You can go through so many examples in life of possessions, but when it comes to our life, we don't give it the same care. We'll go and ask a sinner what we should do with our money. How did you afford that? What can I do to get the same thing you got? We'll go to someone that has been divorced 15 times and can't seem to keep a spouse and ask them for marriage advice. Well, Lord, what'd you, that, that third husband you had. Now, what do you need to keep them around for three years? You're not going and asking someone that. You're going, you need to be going to someone that's been married for 50 years, but no, we'll do it. We'll go around. That, now, that third or fourth, which one was you married to? How did you keep them around for three years? 
The rest of them you only had for a year. Now tell me we don't do it. We'll go to someone that has never set foot in the house of the Lord and ask them how we should spend our time on a Sunday. We go and we do stupid things with what matters the most to us. I've said it time and again that if it comes down to it, we will sell all of our possessions. We will get rid of everything we have if it will add a little bit of time to the end of our life. If the doctor comes to us and tells us that you have a disease, but if you can come up with $100,000, we can do a surgery that will cure you. You'll sell your house. You'll sell your car. You'll sell everything inside of your house. You'll do everything you can to add on a little bit of time to the end of your life. But when it comes to living your life day in and day out, what we will do is go talk to the ungodly and walk in their counsel. We create troubles for our ourself by not doing what it is we need to do Amen. that's what this psalm is about matter of fact this psalm psalm 1 and psalm 2 stands as an introduction to the entirety of the psalms the first is an introduction uh, and about the necessities of our personal relationship with the lord we have to have a personal relationship i talked about that in sunday school a little bit but now the second psalm is about our communal relationship with the Lord. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 sets the stage for everything else that it must be personal and that He is the God of Israel and that we must have a communal or community relationship with the Lord. Some even will go so far as to say that this first psalm that I read you is an introduction on its own to even Psalm 2, that it stands in front for a very specific reason is to tell you that the entirety of the book of Psalms is telling you that you need to live godly. Now chronologically, if you would try to put the psalms in order, you would probably have to move this one all the way to the very end. What it seems like, and it makes good sense, is that after all of these other psalms was composed and compiled from Moses and Asaph and David and all the ones that wrote, even the anonymous ones, that whoever God had get them all together, he also gifted through the power of the Holy Ghost to essentially do a psalm to stick at the front as a summary for what they're all about. There was a couple of quotes that I found about it, and it really some of them really struck me. Uh, one was out of a commentary by David Kinder. He said it stands as an introduction uh, to this book as a faithful doorkeeper that confronts those who would be in the congregation of righteousness with the basic choice that alone gives reality to worship, with the divine truth that must inform it and with the ultimate judgment that looms beyond it. So let me go back and break this down a little bit. What he's saying is this very first psalm is set here at the very front of what is considered a book of worship to give reality to our worship. There is no reality in our worship if we're not following God. You might as well not even walk into the church house. You don't even need to open your mouth. You don't need to pray. You don't need to sing. You don't need to do anything if you are not following the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ. That is the reality or should be the reality of your worship. It should be the reality of your praise. It needs to be the reality of your prayers. Your reality must be the Lord Jesus Christ. It cannot be any other reality. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's not any other name that when you speak it that people will be able to have strength come into their legs and their ankles and stand up. It's no other name that when you touch their eyes that blinded eyes will be open. It's no other name that can open a 90-year-old womb. But the reality of our worship must be the Lord Jesus Christ. But now there is a divine truth that must inform that worship. And that divine truth is that ultimate judgment that looms just beyond. Now that ultimate judgment means one day, yes, we'll go to heaven or hell, but one day even beyond that, we will either be in a new heaven, in a new Jerusalem, or we will not be in hell, but we will rather be brought up with hell and cast into the lake of fire. That is the ultimate judgment. That is divine truth. And the divine truth is there is no way to be reconciled to God. There is no way to enter those pearly gates and walk on the streets of gold unless it is by and through the blood of Jesus Christ, unless you have repented. Not just come up to the altar and cried for a minute and let a few tears fall and say, I'm sorry. That ain't going to cut it. You've got to repent. It's got to be something deeper. It's got to be something more. You can be sorry for something and walk back out and do it again tomorrow but he said you must repent you have to come up you have to get up someone different than what you went down as I love what brother Stanley was talking about change there's just something that happens inside of you it's not necessarily an outwardly physical change that occurs but it is that heart of stone being replaced by a heart of flesh it is you looking at something that breaks your heart that you used to laugh at it is you mourning over something that you used to do that you know grieved the Lord and that you can't do anymore. It's getting up from an altar with a changed heart. That's repentance. It ain't crying a little bit. You can cry all day long and not change. I don't need your tears. I need to see you repent. And ultimately, if you do, the ultimate judgment that looms beyond will be enter in my good and faithful servant. Well, glory. Another commentator, James Montgomery Boyce, put it this way. He says, this psalm stands as an introduction to the way we can find happiness and fulfillment in life. Now think about that. This is the introduction to the way you can find happiness and fulfillment. And look at that very first verse. Blessed is the man that walketh not, in the counsel of the ungodly. Quit creating troubles for yourself. What I really want to say, I'm going to say to the third one. But this walking in counsel means just simply asking advice. Now, I know we need to go to doctors. We need to go to lawyers sometimes if we're doing, you know, property deals or whatever. You know, I know all that. But first, you need to consult the Lord. Time and again, 
Time and again in Proverbs, it talks about wisdom of counsel and having a multitude of counselors, leaning not on your own understanding. The first place we need to consult, matter of fact, the Bible also tells us time and again, if any lack wisdom or knowledge, then you need to ask God, and He will give it to you. This Bible has everything in it that we will ever need. Now, I know sometimes we need to consult someone. We need a little help with it. That's why we've got theologians and scholars and pastors and teachers and all of these other people. But this should be our first consult. But yet, many times it's not. When we get sick, we'll go ask a doctor. We should. We need to visit physicians. If we've got the means and the ability, God put them here for a reason. If he spoke through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through a Muslim and, and heal me. Some might find that offensive. I just find it truthful. He can speak through an atheist. He can speak through a Hindu. He can speak through whoever he wants and move their hands and heal my body. But I know He can heal my body also. I need to pray. I need to lift up to Him. Doctor gives us some kind of bad diagnosis. We don't pray. What do we do? Nowadays we'll go get on the computer and we'll type in our symptoms and we'll type in whatever disease the doctor says that is going to kill us in six months and we'll type it in and we'll start listening to some Yahoo up a holler somewhere that didn't graduate third grade about what diet he went on to cure him from something and we'll take it as gospel truth and run with it. And then we'll wonder why in three weeks we have went downhill and we have uh, not lived up to the expectations of the doctor. Why? Because you're taking ungodly advice. It just don't make sense. We create troubles for ourselves by doing these things. God said to seek Him first, and all these things will be added unto you. God said that He would give you whatever it is you need, whether it be wisdom or knowledge or provision. We see time and again that Jesus Christ is the one that healed. We see time and again that Jesus Christ is the one that saved, the one that set free, the one that made the way to God the Father, and yet He is the last one that we will go talk to. So how can we be blessed? It said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the council. Not the one that goes and asks everybody else what to do except for Jesus, but the one that will go to Jesus and crawl to on their knees and fall on their face and cry out. That's who will be blessed. Then he will make sure you get to the right doctor. He'll make sure you get to the right lawyer. He'll make sure you find favor in your finances. He'll make sure that you have everything you need. Amen. Keep going to Joe down the street and asking him, how do you afford that? He said, well, I just budget my money. Well, let me see your budget. And nowhere in that budget is somewhere for tithes, but you'll follow it. That's walking in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't care if he does pay tithes. If he's a sinner, you don't need to follow it anyway. Amen. For far too long, what we have done is misunderstood. Will we'll, we'll Jesus sit down with the sinners and eat? You need a better understanding of the Bible. Because everywhere that there was intimacy, everywhere that God got away or Jesus got away to pray, everywhere that he'd done his work, he was with his twelve. 
He went and sat down with them to eat so he could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't get up from this table and come chasing after me, you're going to be left behind. If you don't get up from the table and come with me when I get up, then you're not going to get into heaven, but rather there's a devil's hell waiting on you where the rest of your ancestors are at that killed my prophets. But no, it's okay. I can go there and sit down with them. I need to be buddy-buddy with them. No, you don't. You need to get away from them. Stand. So you don't need to walk. You don't need to take the advice of the ungodly. I don't care what it's about. You do not need advice of ungodly people in your life. It will create chaos in you that God did not design you for. It will create fear in you that He did not give you a spirit of. They can't tell you about what they do not know. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. But he goes on to say, not only should you not walk in those ways, not only should you not take advice from them, you don't need to stand with them. You don't need to imitate the actions of sinners. Boy, if any other pastors are watching this this morning, I'm going to be in trouble right here. You don't need to black out your ceiling. You don't need to put up lights up here and turn those off. Now, you might need lights up here to light the stage for your camera, but you can have those on back there too. You don't need a nightclub in a sanctuary. Now, we can do all kinds of things to make church more comfortable. I thank God for padded pews or padded chairs. I don't care which it is because those old wooden ones get a little rough particularly when you get a long-winded preacher. I have no problem with a pew that is as comfortable as a couch. Don't you misunderstand me. I don't even have problems with having coffee available over in the fellowship hall. Someone wants to come in. I drink coffee every morning when I come in. Brother Bill takes such good care of me in that way. When I walk in, there's coffee waiting on me. And we stand around and we fellowship and we have coffee. I don't have a problem with that. We need to fellowship. We need to honor the sanctuary. We need to honor our time with the Lord. But we need fellowship too. Someone wants to bring donuts and put them over there. I promise you I'll eat one or two of them. I don't have a problem with any of that. But what we try to do is we try to imitate to make the church like the world so the world will want to come into the church. I don't want the world in the church. I want people that want to come out of the world and come into the church and be changed. I don't need the world in here. I fight it enough out there Monday through Saturday. When I come in here on Sunday, I want some holy people in here worshiping. I want to hear some people talking in tongues. God said we will not be blessed if we try to imitate the ways of sinners. If we look to what the world is doing and how they're they're trying to build a crowd I don't care I need the advice of the Almighty of the Holy Ghost and of Jesus Christ the Son to help me do what I need to do because I know we need to be welcoming I know we need to be warm but there is nothing I can do to help these people it has to be the Holy Ghost if I bring them in and we sing real pretty and I preach real pretty and they walk out unchanged and unsaved then I have failed Stanley has failed and every 
everybody else in this church has failed. But that's what happens when you imitate the world. In other words, when you stand, when you stand in the way of sinners, you will not be blessed. Now the same thing applies to your personal life. It ain't just the church. It applies to your personal life also. You think it's more important to go to a ball game on a Sunday than come into church. Yeah. You better hope they have football in hell because you just told God you don't love him as much as you love football. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. You want to go stand with people that are hollering and cussing and squalling and drinking beer instead of going into the house of God to raise up the name of the Almighty. That is imitating the way of sinners. God will understand, yeah, He understands you just told Him you don't love Him anymore, that you love ball games more. Oh, man, if I work that extra shift on Sunday, man, that's double time or triple time. God will understand. You want me to tell you what He understands? That the love of money is the root of all evil. He understands you just shunned him to make an extra dollar. That is imitating the actions of sinners. That is standing in the way of sinners. And when you do that, you will not be blessed. But now there's one other word in there too. Sit. It says not to sit in the seat of the scornful. There's a big word called ecumenism. Essentially all it means is having good relations with other denominations. Now I know what John says. Disciples come to him. They're casting demons out in your name, but we don't know who they are. He said if they're working for me, let them be. He didn't say go sit down at the table with them learn their doctrine, learn what they're all about. I love Methodists, I love Baptists, even some Catholics, Presbyterians, Episcopalians. You take your pick. There's going to be some of all of them in heaven, I promise you. But you do not need to sit down at the table with someone that mocks you for being a Pentecostal. Period. Now you can let them be, you can let them go do their own work, but if they're mocking you for speaking in tongues, you do not need to sit down with them. Furthermore, you don't need to be sitting down with the world. Oh, Jesus sat down with sinners. He didn't sit in that way. He sat down to tell them to change. He didn't sit down to be their buddy for the next 50 years. Why? Let's go back to what I told you out of 1 Corinthians. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You sit down with your buddy that's a sinner that cheats on his wife and drinks every Monday through Saturday and gets up with a hangover and tells his wife, oh, I can't make it to church again this Sunday. My head's hurting. I wonder why. But yet that's your buddy and that's who you sit down with and that's who you counsel with. That's who you get advice with. That's who you stand with. That's who you try to imitate. He looks at you every Friday. You want to go out with me? No, I've got to go to church Sunday. 
Now that I get to, now that I get to go worship, I got to go to church. What's he say? I don't know why you do that anyway. Look at me. I got all the same things you got, and I don't go. You will not be blessed. You will not be blessed sitting down at the table of sinners. You will not be blessed sitting down at people that mock your religion and mock what you believe and mock things that are in the Bible. You will not be blessed. You will have your mind changed way before you change theirs. Unless God himself gets a hold of them, they will not change. Psalm 26 and 4, I'm going to read it two different ways. King James says, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. In a little more plain English, what it says is, I do not sit with men of falsehood. Nor do I consort with hypocrites. I do not sit with men or people, women, listen to me. This is talking about you also. Don't sit with people of falsehood. Don't consort with people that say they're one thing, but you see fruit of something else in their life. That's a hypocrite. The word hypocrite is just at the very root an actor. That's what it was in the Greek language is an actor. It is someone that acts like something other than who they really are. Do not sit with them. Do not walk. Don't take the advice of the ungodly. Do not stand. Do not try to imitate the way of a sinner. I don't care if it's church. I don't care if it's your personal life. If you do these things, you will not be blessed. And furthermore, why do you keep chasing every doctrine that's out there and every new preacher that comes along that sounds good? You don't even know what their doctrine is and what they're teaching. Why do you chase them? Why? Why do you bounce from place to place? You'll go one week to somewhere and talk in tongues. And you'll go in somewhere the next week. And they say, well, people talking tongues are going to hell. So you just keep your mouth shut. Why are you even going to them? Don't do that stuff. You won't be blessed. But rather, let me not just beat you down. Let me try to pick you up a little bit. My goodness. Rather. Or but, depends on which translation you're reading. But, his delight, in other words, the blessed man, the blessed woman, the one that is using a little bit of common sense and not walking, standing, sitting where they shouldn't be. They're truly trying to chase after the heart of Jesus Christ. His delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord. In this, in this, because you're changed. You're not who you used to be. You used to delight in a 12-pack of Bud Light, but now you're content to sit home on that same night that you would have been out drinking, reading the Word of God and meditating upon what He has done for you and in your life. You're changed. You're not the same person. You're a new creature. You've got a new heart. You've got a new mind. 
You've got new focus. You used to like Harlequin Romance, and now you like the Song of Solomon. Some of y'all get that when you read it at some point. Take pleasure in this. But I love that word meditate. We think of meditate as sitting in silence, contemplating. And we should do that. We should do that. It's not just some far eastern mysticism. Meditation is a good thing for a Christian. Just to sit and meditate upon, think upon the things of the Lord. Not talking. Not begging God to do whatever you want for him to do as a genie in a bottle this week. Because it's a lot of times what we'll do. Oh God, give me wish one, two, and three. Give me a new job, new car, new house, new spouse, new kids, whatever. We'll get that bottle, we'll rub it, and we'll hope he pops out. And then when we get in trouble again, we go grab the bottle. Oh God, you give me the wrong woman. Oh Lord, this car costs too much. Why'd you let me have it? That's not meditating. Meditating in our thoughts is just sitting and contemplating, listening for God, contemplating upon what He's done for us. That's not exactly what it means here. Here it really means moan, speak, or reading aloud the law of the Lord. Not just reading silently, but reading aloud. And not just that, when you get really down into the root of what they're trying to say, it is to read carefully and study and pour over the Word of the Lord. An intensive, careful reading and study. That way, when you get that graduation card, and it says Jeremiah 29, 11 on it and reads that verse, you know, oh, you know what? I remember reading that. These people are, these people are crazy. They're telling me I'm going to be a slave for 70 years. You know when you see because you've read carefully. You've studied carefully. You know when you're reading about them piercing his side and not a bone being broken that you can go back to Psalm 22. You know that when you're reading Psalm 51, you can also go over into 2 Samuel and see the coinciding story. Because you've studied and you've read carefully. You know that when someone tells you that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that they're telling you the exact truth. And you know, you'll also know that when someone tells you you can do whatever you want, Jesus will understand that they're lying to you. That is what the blessed person does. I'm going to go back and read the rest of this psalm, and we're going to try to wrap up. You see, the blessed person that meditate day and night, it says day and night, that you're contemplating on these things, you're studying, you're pouring over day and night, that don't leave you time to go out for foolishness. It leaves you time to do what you need to do, provide for your family, do these things, and the rest of your time should be in the Word of the Lord. And when you do that, you shall be like a tree planted by the... Rivers of water. And then when it's the right season, guess what? You're going to bloom out and you're going to produce fruit. You're not going to fade away. Your leaf ain't going to wither. 
In other words, you'll be walking, you'll be doing these things, and you'll start feeling a little bit tired. You'll start feeling a little bit run down sometimes. And then you'll look out and you'll see, well, my goodness, I've still got all kinds of energy to go because I'm not even drooping away on my edges. I've still got all kinds of sap and water flowing up and flowing out to the very edges. I can keep on running. I can keep on traveling on because my leaves ain't even withered yet. And whatsoever you doeth shall prosper. Why? Not because of some silly prosperity gospel, but because you are so tightly attached and wound with Jesus Christ that you can't do nothing that is unsatisfying to Him. But if you're not that way, it says the ungodly. Now, if you're not tightly knit with Christ, there's only one other way to be tightly knit, and that's with Satan. It's with the devil. There's no in-between. There's not three or four judgments. You can't go to purgatory. You can't just sit out in the middle of space somewhere and nothing good or bad happen. You just kind of float along. No, you're either in the joys of the Lord or you're in the torment of the devil. You're in heaven or you're in hell. There's only two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ and there's the great, great white throne judgment. So if you're not like a tree planted by rivers of water, if you're not prospering, if you're not withering, then the other thing is, is you are not getting watered. You are withering away to nothing. You are not planted and rooted. You are not prospering in what you do because it says the ungodly are not so. But you're like, chaff, you're not even the good part of a wheat stalk. You're just a little bit of trash left over to get blown away. I know, that sounds harsh, don't it? Oh, we like the nice, neat, clean words. Chaff is trash. It don't go into you. It's not food. It's not good for anything. And it gets blown away. That's the ungodly. Now, God still sees value in the ungodly, and He wants them to be saved. Don't think I'm calling sinners trash because they're not. They are valued. They are loved by God. He wants them to come in to the house of God. He wants them to turn from ungodly to godly, from sin to righteousness, from clothed in filthy rags to having a garment of white put on. But ultimately, if they don't, they're treated like Chaff. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They're not going to be judged by Christ. Only God can judge me. Well, you better hope not. You better hope not. I made about three women as mad as an old wet hen at camp meeting one year over that. If you're reserving yourself for the judgment of God, you're reserving yourself for hell. There's a judgment seat of Christ for the righteous. There's a judgment seat of Christ for the righteous. God is the one who sits on the great white throne. God is the one that pulls up from hell and casts into the lake of fire. Only God can judge me, you better hope not. You have no, people have no idea what they're saying when they say that. 
And maybe it centers in the congregation of the righteous. We might need to revisit that a little bit at times. We'll just let anybody do anything. And I don't. We don't hear. I'll let most anybody do small things because you need people integrated into the church. But if you're going to get up here and lead, you're going to be full of the Holy Ghost. Period. There was a time, matter of fact, there's an old song. I think Flat and Scruggs done it. And we did it kind of as a joke down at Montcalm one year. Talking about all these different types of people. What are you going to do? Take them out, turn them out, and let the church roll on? One of them was about women with paint on their face. What are you going to do? Take them out, wash it off, let the church roll on? I'm not going to go too far down that road, but that's why we've done it as a joke on Father's Day one day. But there is something to maintaining the integrity of the church. There is something to maintaining the integrity of the pulpit and of the sanctuary. Sinners don't need to be in the congregation of the righteous for certain things. We're doing foot washing. We don't need a sinner in here doing that. They don't understand it. That's for post-baptismal forgiveness of sins. I'll preach that sometime. They need forgiveness of sins initially. Can they find God in it? I suppose so. But there's some things we need to guard and hold as sacred. Verse 6, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up here. I've been going long enough. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. God sees and knows your heart. He knows you're going to stumble along the way. He knows that you're going to struggle. Why? Because Jesus was tempted in every manner as is common to man. Jesus didn't fail. He didn't stumble. But he understands. He watched it firsthand with Peter. He watched it firsthand with so many others. And he experienced the temptation himself. He knows your heart. He won't quit calling for you if you're sincere and honest with him. And I believe you can reach a point where you're just done. But I think it takes a whole lot to get there. He knows the righteous. He knows your heart. But the way of the ungodly, it's not might, it's not maybe, shall. It's a definite. I can tell you with a certainty today that if you live righteous, you will end up in heaven. There is a hope and a promise that is beyond this world. It is the ultimate judgment. The other side of that ultimate judgment is if you walk in the way of the ungodly, if you stand in the way of the ungodly, if you sit in the way of the ungodly, you shall perish. So I'm going to go back to verse 2. I didn't mean to lie to you, so my apologies. Here's what I would encourage you to do this morning for an, for an altar call. First and foremost, if you're walking in the way of the ungodly and you don't want to perish, you can change it. All you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You need to repent. You need to change. You need to quit living like hell and like the devil has a hold of you and start trying to live righteous like you believe that Jesus Christ really lived. In other words, you need to repent. You need to tell God you're sorry. You need to change. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. The same shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10, I believe it is. 
So if you're walking in the way of the ungodly, whether you're watching online, whether you're in here, all you need to do is repent and you can start a different path. Otherwise, I would just urge you to spend some time with the Lord this morning. Delight in Him. Delight in the Lord. You try to walk not in counsel of the ungodly. You try to not stand in the way of sinners. You try to not sit with people that bring you down and tear your religion away from you. You sincerely try with everything in you to walk right. I would encourage you to come and just spend a little time with the Lord and thank Him, delight in Him, take joy in Him, lift His name up and give Him a little bit of praise. The altars are open this morning. And as always, if you need prayer for something specific, just come and let us pray with you.